available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network, because apparently we're talking slower today. We did find out (laughs) most people listen at like two times speed, which I can't do, but maybe we should speak slower so the, the, the just to drive them and drive them absolutely R- insane. Yeah, I do one point two. What do you do, David? I do. I do as as God intended. Really? I listen at the appropriate speed. Interesting. Look, I'm not trying to make it pass quicker. What do I have to do? <laughs> no, I want to listen to people as they talk. Okay. As they as the artist intended, as the, the voice artist intended. The two time stuff. I don't think you can get everything that they're saying. That doesn't make no. Sense. It's it, it's like people who claim to know how to speed read. Yeah, your comprehension sucks. Yeah. Like that's just the truth of it. Like none of this none of this I can listen at like 4x and I can read at like 3000 words a second. Like no. 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 That's all bull. Uh well anyway, we I don't somehow we got derailed on our intro. Just David was a little more deliberate than normal. <laughs> off. I have a I have a gift to, to for derailing this thing. <laughs> Five seconds in is good to derail it. Uh, well, if you want to email us, uh, we got a lot of emails today. Since we're doing this on a Wednesday, um, we got a couple extra days of your emails in there. So there's a bunch. Pack twelve podcast at gmail.com. We love all the emails. Uh, a lot of love in the, those emails. There's also. Uh, a voice line, a voicemail line, or you could text us at 424-532-0678. Our Twitter is at Pac12Podcast, and the website with all our stuff on it is Pac12Podcast.com. Please subscribe and rate us on iTunes at five-star rating, some positive review, some funny review. We'd like to read them. I don't know. I, I haven't looked, David. I never look at that stuff. Have, have we got any new reviews lately? I think we we pimped that out, like asking for some reviews. I don't know if we got any. Um, I don't know that we've gotten any new ones. Oh, wait. Maybe we have. All right. So we're at 219 ratings. Let's see. We're still five stars. If we've gotten right? any new. So no more written reviews, but it looks like uh, a bunch more people have rated us. Yeah, we are still five stars out of five. Bunch of ratings. But yeah, give us your reviews, people. Yeah. I want to read those on air. We love those. And they're funny. And there have been some really good ones. Uh, so yeah. So do that. Uh, you know, it helps. It helps the show, too. We're, we are really trying our best to keep this going through the offseason with all the weird stuff that we have going on in our lives. This is something that doesn't make us any money, but we're here for you. So <laughs> It's not that it makes us no money. It's that it makes us a laughable amount of money. <laughs> That's true. Very like, funny. it's almost worse that it makes us a little bit of money. Yeah. Because then you're like, oh, I wish it was making more. But if it was none, if it was just a labor of love... Yeah, that's a different thing. It's yeah. a hobby. Right. This is more, yeah, like what the what your server gets paid without tips. Like that's what we're It's more like with. a re- it's a, it's like a really bad job. Yes. Like a really bad job. <laughs> that's where it is. 
that you don't do very well and you don't show up a lot for. Right, so. right. It's, it's a really bad job that you treat like a really bad job. <laughs> well, David, it's not really, I don't know what the theme of today's show is. I guess maybe uh, we got a lot of notes from the uh, the Arizona meetings. Uh, oh, yeah, it's there. a cornucopia, a cornucopia of notes. That should be the title of the show. Yeah, so we'll, we'll kind of dive into some of the stuff Larry Scott talked about some and some other news Mostly from our buddy John Wilner and his uh, amazing hotline newsletter. Well, a few football tidbits. And then I, we'll probably just jump right into questions because we got a ton of them after that. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like great stuff. Do we want to start with Wilner? Yeah, let's start with Wilner. All right. So, um, I mean, this is something that we also 247 reported. But uh, Colson Yankoff and Jacob Sermon out of Washington. Uh, both of those quarterbacks out of the Washington depth chart. Um entered the transfer portal, and then within about a day, Sermon pulled his name out, Yankoff stayed in. Um, this is interesting because these are guys who were part of that quarterback competition um, up at Washington, but it seems like it's more or less going to be Jacob Eason's show, and they both are uh, – I don't know if, if Sermon – maybe he read the writing on the wall, but then the writing was obscured, and he decided that it didn't translate correctly, and he decided to stay. Yankoff read it, I think, maybe clearer, um, decided to – put his name in completely and he's actually visiting ucla this weekend so ah. um, there could be there could be an inter-conference transfer there um and he's a i think they're both redshirt freshmen um so a lot of years of eligibility left for both of them so it'll be interesting to see where yankoff ends up um what what transpires with sermon whether he, you know, puts his name in again next year or whatever. But um, interesting, you know, Washington, we were looking at that depth chart and saying, wow, they've got a lot of pieces and suddenly, well, one fewer. So. Yeah, one fewer piece. There was also one we didn't put our note in here, but um, through USC's quarterback competition, apparently Matt Fink, uh, who's a redshirt uh, sophomore, has two, uh, two more years to play. Are, so he actually put his name in the transfer portal and within a few days, decided he's going to transfer to Illinois. And Illinois already has three former USC players from the transfer portal. Uh, Lovey Smith actually left some spots open. They need to get better right away. So instead of recruiting high school players, they left a bunch of spots open to bring in transfers. And three three USC guys have already transferred there. But apparently, like, same sort of thing, I think, with the writing on the wall from Matt Fink. Uh, he must not have been in the top two after being uh, JT Daniels' backup last year. Uh, he's either three or four behind the true freshman Keaton Slovis and decided to transfer out. It didn't take him long. He put his name in the portal within a few days. He's off to Illinois. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I don't know. I think, I think the portal is working to some extent with getting these guys. It always seemed to take longer in the past. Um, and maybe just the contact rules being a little bit more simplified for teams and transfers have made it a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I, I think if you have a place like Illinois that left spots open, but other places, there's a lot of, it seems like everyone has a bunch of guys in the portal, but there's not a lot of room to bring anyone else in. So, Well, UCLA has like 16 spots available, so they can bring in as many as they want. Well, they they went with the recruiting optional plan, right? Like they're just like, well, we don't need to recruit. Let's just sign some guys from the transfer portal. It's better to have a tight 70 than a sloppy 85, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, uh, well, they're also kind of, kind of constructing a narrative. Let's, let's, John, we're, we're constructing a narrative here. Uh, one third of the elite quarterback recruits over the past four years have transferred out of the conference. Um, so 
semi-indictment of the Pac-12 there, if you could read it that way. Uh-huh. Um, and then also, in light of that, um, the top-rated quarterback in the junior class, who I'm going to pronounce right now, <clears throat> DJ Uia Galele? I think it's that's pretty close. I just call him ukulele, you know, or just call him DJ. <laughs> It's so, something like got, ukulele. Like, it's, it's very similar to that, you know? I think it's – but I, the one note I remember about Polynesian names is you pronounce all of the syllables. Yeah. So, Uiaga Lele. I, the, That's where I'm I think going. the beginning of it is – I don't remember it being that pronounced, like that uh, drawn out. It was a little quicker, like – Well, yeah, it was Yuga probably Lele. a little quicker. I think it's like Yugalele or something like that, yeah. If, Whatever. Yeah. But he's going to Clemson. He's going to Clemson over Oregon, um, and early on in his process, I think he was looking at uh, USC, um, but they took Bryce Young, um, and it's uh, this is a situation where a, a top guy out of Southern California decides to go out of region uh, for college, um, and again, if you're looking at it for notes on the Pac-12, maybe you know looking a little bit lo- less robust, this is certainly something you could put in that. I mean, I don't... I don't know the particulars of this kid's recruitment, but from what I've heard, he was always going to be kind of looking outside of the region. It wasn't, he was never one of those like fanboy locks for, you know, staying local. So, you know, as part of a narrative, yeah, it doesn't look great, but in the individual instance, it's not, I don't think this is significant for indicting the Pac-12. No, I mean, big, big, strong kid. Um, Clemson is changing you know, the way they recruit similar, I think, to what Washington's doing, getting more of the higher rated players, not just the R kind of guys and uh, and doing more with them. But yeah, Clemson is just a juggernaut right now. You win two of the last three national championships and and you weren't recruiting at a top five level. Now they are. Um, and, and, and I think a lot of the national programs, blue blood programs can smell blood in the water out here in Southern California and know that, you know, a, a program like USC that would get a lot of these guys isn't doing that well. You can come in and take some five-star players from California uh, and you've, you're fighting off, you know, Washington, Oregon, UCLA, whatever. I mean, you're fighting off those kind of programs, but uh, I don't think they have the cachet of a USC where a lot of those guys would end up going. And now these guys are coming in and just uh, and doing a really good job of recruiting California. So I think, I think it's a problem for the PAC 12 that they need to go through and, and, and get some of these guys. Uh, not that all of them go, but there's uh, there's more guys leaving now that I think can remember from before. If you remember, like in the '90s, like Florida State, Miami, they would come in, you know, get the best guys from De La Salle and other you know major programs. Uh, that kind of stopped for a while, but seems to be creeping up and happening a little bit more now. Yeah, does somebody want to do that work for us? Because we certainly don't. But like, if you want to look at the last, I don't know, or look at forever um, uh, since all these systems have been in place, but like the top hundred kids from the, or not even top hundred, but like top 50 kids from the West, how does, you know, the past couple of cycles compare to, I don't know, five or six years ago when the Pac-12 was doing really well? Is there a clear, you know, demarcation? Like does it, has the rate of people leaving the region increased, uh, especially the top kids? It'd be interesting to see that. Yeah, for sure. It would be uh, interesting, but you know, we'll see. Uh, how they do, but that's, you know, that's not a good one. And then what is it? Savelle Smalls. Um, is that how you say his name? 
Yeah, yeah. He, he he's the top uh, outside linebacker out of Seattle who dropped Washington. Um, and there was some weird, like, commentary about this that it had something to do with how Chris Peterson uh, hasn't prioritized the city kids in Seattle as much or just some general issues with that. Did you read anything about this? No, I yeah, just to like in passing, and I didn't. I was going to dive into it more, and I never, I never did. Um, but yeah, that's that's weird, especially the way Washington's been recruiting lately. You would think, you know, that something like that wouldn't be happening right now. Yeah, it is. It's it's very strange, and he left it open for other Pac-12 schools. So it's not. A, I don't think it's a matter of him staying in region. I think he'd be fine with that. So. Um, I, I think this is something where if any if any Washington folks want to weigh in on on what they think is happening, because I was reading some some board commentary on it. And it seems to be there's kind of two sides, as there always is on any message board. But a lot of people think this maybe it has been a, a consistent misstep for Chris Peterson and how he's done with kind of the city kids uh, in Seattle. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that's uh, if that's part of a, a broader narrative. Yeah. Uh, the other note um, for the NCAA lifting its ban on championship games uh, in Nevada and any place, any state that has legal sports wagering. So uh, that should open up things for the Final Four and the college football playoff to be held uh, in Las Vegas, the Raiders' uh, new stadium. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. And I think the Pac-12 is going to be tied heavily to that. So just having Vegas be more of a presence in college football and basketball I don't think is a, a bad thing at all for the Pac-12. No, it's great. Let's do it. Woohoo! Yeah. We love going to Vegas, so um yeah, when I covered the Mountain West a little bit, uh their their media days were in Vegas, so that's that's cool. Yeah. Uh better than going to Hollywood and Highland every year like we've been doing. I would I would I would uh, when I lived in Los Angeles I never wanted to go to Hollywood <laughs> ever. So, yeah, that's not good. Yeah, I I don't mind doing it once every like six months or something. Like you know, you get out of the bubble of wherever you live, and you go, oh, you know, go up there and pay twenty dollars to park or whatever. And, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I went to a friend who was doing a comedy club thing there at like the comedy store, so we went to support her, and that was fun. But yeah, it's like you do that once, and you're like I don't need to come back here for several months. Yep, or years, um, decades. Yeah. Uh, our, so, well, my, one of my interns, uh, Micah, who's helped out with the USC, I, I asked him like, you know what? Like, since David's doing so much work in our shared Google doc, when I asked him to put <laughs> notes in there and he, he must've, it must've slipped his mind. He just didn't do it. So I asked my, my intern too, but one of the things I've said, Hey, go find out, you know, put a bunch of notes in from the Arizona meetings where. They had the athletic directors, but they didn't have the presidents, and they didn't. They they had football coaches, but not basketball coaches, I believe. Uh, but there was a lot of early comments from Larry Scott, and uh, several reporters were tweeting stuff about it. So I'd asked him to amass some some notes. He put a he put a bunch in there, Dave. A bunch, way too many, but too it's many? great. It was perfect. Well done. Great work. Thanks, Micah. Um, I don't know what do you, what do you think are the most important ones where you want to like just we just touch on these we don't have to like go in super depth. Yeah, I mean it was it, it's all kind of the same. I mean it's all kind of the same basic stuff that we've heard for a while. I mean the conference still wants to say at nine conference games, which has basically been the note this entire time. Yeah, like they don't want to drop, and there isn't really a popular push to get it to get them to drop. Um, it, 
arguably wouldn't make sense for them to drop. Like there's a lot of reasons not to drop it. Um, so it sounds like that's something that's not going to happen anytime in the near future. Um, so that, I mean, that's kind of, of a piece with what we've heard so far. Um, there wasn't really that much else that was super new. Um, he did hint at um, some, some kind of new, bowl arrangements with the with Vegas and LA and whether they might end up higher up in the hierarchy um with the new LA stadium and the new Vegas stadium which is interesting but again like stuff we probably could have anticipated yeah. I don't know did anything else stick out to you from this there were man, there was a couple of tweets from from Dennis Dodd early on and I, I think there were some of the uh where they were he was talking kind of admitting that they were falling behind you know revenue wise and that and there was like hope for uh, you know, 2024, they can get back on top, you know, when they redo the, the deal. And it just, it to me, it was like, yeah, it'd be great. You, you sign a deal and you're, you're in first place for like a year and then, but it's a 12 year deal. So then you're in last place for uh, eight of those 12 years. And then, you know, you hope that you can jump back into first uh, 12 years later, but then are you going to fall, you know, instantly fall back again? Um, so it's, it's just one of those things where it didn't seem like there was any answers from the, the tweets and the stories I was reading coming from the beat writers. It was like Larry Scott kind of admitting that they're falling behind, but you know, not really much can be done until the the new deal comes around. Yeah. And that's, again, that's kind of of a piece of what, I mean, he, 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 what I would say is like general note, he seemed a little bit more forthright in the comments, like just a little bit more like actually dealing with reality a little um but yeah i mean it is the the general thing is nothing's really going to change and there's not a whole lot they can do for the next five years unless they take a really bad agreement with direct tv or something um but that'll just affect distribution it's not really i don't i don't know how much that's going to affect bottom line at this point yeah um so it's uh yeah i mean it was it was mainly a lot of the same stuff there's also he was talking about um, how, and this is another thing where he was kind of forthright, where he was talking about the fans' opinions of the the, the refereeing and the and the officiating, and he said, you know, we we believe our. He said, like, kind of all commissioners uh, think that their fans believe that they've got the worst yeah. officiating, but the issue is determining how to measure it across leagues, and I get that to an extent. Like that is a valid argument. Like it is like something where. Look, I watch mostly Pac-12 games, so I watch more of the garbage Pac-12 officiating, but I always hear ACC fans tell me how bad the officiating is in that conference. Yeah, The ones who seem to agree that their conference officiating is pretty good is the Big Ten and the SEC, um, where they generally don't they, – they generally – those fans seem to have an opinion about it that it's better than the ACC and the Pac-12. Um, but – fine even that but like have your own fail rates or do a fail rate like you know all of these conferences or should review their officiating um what's an acceptable fail rate like what's an acceptable rate at which you blow a call um and start doing objective measures like that if they're not already um and judge against yourself judge against your own progress be better i mean i not to use the cliches from all these dumb coaches but be better this year than you were last year. Be yeah. better next year than you were this year. I mean, it's just uh, build your own baseline and then improve from there. You don't have to start saying, oh, it's not It's not a marketing positioning thing. It's just people want a better product, so put 
systems in place for developing a better product, and that means stop blowing calls as much. Yeah. So Ray, that. Ray Anderson, the uh, athletic director for Arizona State, heading the steering committee for the officiating, and uh, they're doing. They said they're doing comprehensive interviews with officials and athletic staff at each university while benchmarking other leagues. It's one of those things, David, where like you you live in LA, you grew up in LA, you know what LA traffic's like. And, you know, say you go to like Omaha and someone goes, man, the traffic here just sucks. And you look at them funny, you know? So I think that's sort of like what's going on with the officiating. Like if the ACC is like, man, our officiating is terrible. It's like, yeah, it's not the Pac-12. And if they come out and play a game in the Pac-12, they're like, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> so it's sort of those things where, yeah, you can say, well, everyone thinks their, their traffic is the worst, but it's the worst in LA <laughs> usually. Um, it's the same thing. Everyone thinks their officiating is the worst. Well, it's the worst in the Pac-12. Yeah, and it just is. And uh, yeah, that's especially in Atlanta, you get people complaining about Atlanta traffic. And I'm like, every day, I'm like, you people are a joke. Like this is this is this is nothing. There's a rush hour here. Like it's not a rush hour. day. It's not a rush nine hours. It's a rush hour. It's fine. That's funny. Um, yeah. Uh, but a lot of good notes there. Anything else that popped out? or not, Nothing else really jumped out. Um, it was uh, mostly more of the same stuff. Um, you know, the usual blah, blah, blah about, you know, uh, they didn't, they weren't prioritized. Our first priority at the beginning was not financial with the development of the Pac-12 network, which is fun. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was just more of the same garbage from them. Yeah. Well, should we jump into... Questions? Let's do some questions. So we got um, Frank emailed us a screenshot. I think he might have tweeted this at us too. He said, Ryan, who are these imposters? Uh, I went to search for you and Dave and got this. And it's this sort of, looks like a cereal box logo. It says like the podcast of champions. Um, they actually have a five-star rating, but only 22 ratings. Many, many fewer reviews. Many, many, many fewer. fewer. Yeah. Host Jimmy and Sean form an audio dynamic duo that harkens back to the days of the bash brothers duke and flint and the rockers and then i it, that there's nothing else left i didn't click on it to see which more but um i don't know what this one is i think i've seen it before but does it it looks like a, a box of cheerios or something you know what i mean like there's something weird with it yeah it seems to be just kind of a, a potpourri podcast okay so not, um, not they a don't, pack they don't they don't record frequently but seems to be semi-regularly uh we need to destroy them <laughs> any lawyers out there in our footprint you know we, we need to bash let's see people. when let me look at when their first episode was because it looks like it was the same year so they all right so the first episode i can find in here is episode six and it was on july 19th 2015 we started in 2015 and i think it was in april so, was it? Yeah, what I'm saying here is that we have an actionable issue. Yes, um, we need representation. Yes, we got a tort or something. We need some. <laughs> yeah, like a tort. Anybody have a tort out there that we can use? <laughs> we know legal language. Uh, We're good at that's, it. That's a word. Um, <laughs> nice. Well, thanks for sending that in, uh, and uh, I'm sorry you had to experience that. <laughs> all right frank has another email you want to read this uh, or do you want me to oh uh, sure that's fine uh ryan and dave i really uh liked your topic uh off topic discussion of youth jobs 
at the end of last week's podcast. Ryan's story of his paper, I think it means route, and going out to collect uh, reminded me of my own experience. Dave's point about kids uh, just don't want to work those $10 a week jobs anymore is completely true. When I grew up, we didn't have any money. And when my own kids grew up, we had money. So what's the point of them going out to work when their time would have been much better spent studying Frank yeah. in Sacramento? I don't, I don't know, man, though. Like, I felt like I learned a lot. I managed my money better because of making a pittance when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like I, that's how I learned to manage money. Um, and when I, I, I was shocked, like my first engineering job, when I, I moved to the Bay area and like doubled my salary because it was Silicon Valley going crazy. And I had coworkers that were making six figures. And I felt like if you're do, making six figures, you're just rich and you're never going to have to be worried about money for the rest of your life. And these people were like, or some of them were maxed out on credit cards. And they were just terrible at spending their money. I'm like, you make plenty of money. Like, what are you, how can you be this bad at managing it? But I felt like, like, you know, growing up and like collecting for a paper, I was probably helped me when I became a grown up. you know, even though you weren't making a whole lot of money uh, back then. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what kind of relates to that with who ends up being good at managing money. I'm, I'm awful at it. Uh, nice. <laughs> uh, terrible. But, but I think that's also like a general organizational thing, too. Like if you've got if you've got real organizational skills, if you're kind of type A, you're going to be pretty good at managing your money, no matter if you had a paper route when you were 12 or not, um, because you're just that type of person. I am not. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I think there is some value in all that kind of stuff, especially in having unserious jobs when you're that age, like the kind of job that is like a paper route where it's like, yeah, you have a responsibility, but like the, nothing's going to nothing's going to really happen if you like, right. suck at it. Yeah. Like it's whatever. Um, and I, I think that that stuff is kind of lost now. And usually when people I, I my my guess is that people's first jobs end up being far later and far more responsibility. Um, and it's just, you know, that's I, I don't know if that's great. I don't know if that's an easy transition for a lot of people. I know that like for me, I kind of was worthless in a lot of my first jobs <laughs> or not worthless, but, you know, just the way you are when you're like young and immature um and it you know you got to build the reps like learning how to work if you if you get office work you've got to learn how to work in an office you yeah. got to learn how to do all that stuff and it's it's all skills um and if you don't get the reps early enough you're going to be kind of dog crap as a late 20 year old you know one of the things that you've talked about before is like what we teach in school there's not there's not a lot of practical learning and i i remember one of i i must have been a math class but uh and it was, man, it was like sixth grade or seventh grade or something. It was something in middle school. And we basically had to like team up with a partner in, in our uh, classroom. And that, that's like your roommate. And you had to, you had a job and a budget. And we went to like a grocery store and you had to like buy food for a week. And like how much would all this stuff cost? And you buy a car, like you looked in the one ads and look for used cars and stuff. And um, I thought that was very helpful. And there were some people just, I was good at it. Like some people were just freaking terrible at it, but I was like, Oh, that's actually a practical, like you could probably do that for NFL players. Like, go, you know, like coming out of college that would probably help them. But I, I felt that thing that helped too. And I don't, I don't think schools do that a lot. Yeah. I mean, it helps. Um, it helps. I mean, it, it certainly wouldn't hurt. And I think, um, there's value in it. I don't know what you sacrifice for it, but 
I my my criticisms of education are more specific. Like I I am I am hardcore on the calculus is more or less useless for like ninety eight percent of people, um, and statistics probability would be significantly more useful. Um, but I also like I think there's real value in like all the liberal arts education and all that kind of stuff and teaching you how to think about certain things and all that kind of garbage. So. Yeah, I mean, there should be home ec. Like, there should be that sort of stuff that's kind of gotten dropped as people have gotten into the college admissions game more and more. But I just don't know what you sacrifice for it. Home ec was very useful, too. Like, do you know, like, you get to the bottom of it, your, your peanut butter jar, like my wife would, like, throw it away. I'm like, no, no, take out a spatula. You can get a whole bunch, like, you get a whole other sandwich of peanut butter out of this thing. I remember stuff well, I learned from uh, home ec, you know? Well, a home ec in an ideal world is also teaching you how to, like, manage a household in terms of money and all that true. Kind of stuff. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So anyway, moving on to Alex in Santa Barbara. Hello, Dave. And the guy who always went, I never capitalize USC. I don't know what that means. Uh, is that for you or for me? I think it's to you, but I don't. The, the words together don't make much, much sense. But oh, that's fine. OK. <laughs> Your buddies at the Solid Verbal just held an offseason hot takes podcast where listeners submitted their college football hot takes and they judged them on a scale of one to five, a five meaning more controversial hot. Host Dan Rubenstein submitted his own hot take that Chip Kelly will only coach one more year at UCLA and then walk away saying UCLA's problems aren't for him. Whoa. My questions. Wow. One, how do you feel about this take? I would probably give that a five. Yeah, that's a hot, hot. Take. It's, I did a radio show today in Alabama. Like these guys call me like a couple of times a year just to talk West Coast football and stuff. And that was one of the things they brought up. And I said, you know, you Chip, you want to die or Chip Kelly? He was the biggest fish in the pond. You want it, you know, there's a reason you got to let him do his thing. I don't think he's going to be a two year guy and walk away. I think, yeah, I, I still think it's going to work out, but you know, it wasn't the, the, the ideal first year, I guess you could say. Yeah, definitely not ideal. Definitely not ideal that they have an 881 single year APR um, because they kicked off like, you know, 30 dudes off the team. But whatever, you know, whatever, you know, this stuff happens. Uh, oh, yeah. That was uh, so the, yeah, the APRs came out. How did, did you I didn't even look at the thing. How did the Pac-12 do in general? Pretty good. Usually. Uh, um, I, I wasn't I didn't look at the whole Pac-12. Uh, UCLA was bottom in both basketball and football. Oh, well, they're not known for like as an academic institution, right? No, like, no, 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 not 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 really. So it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't really pertain. Uh, so everyone else did better than that. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so anywhere else, you're like, how'd you do in the APR? Oh, better than UCLA. Yeah, so the, the UCLA basketball team is, I think, four APR points away from being ineligible for postseason play. So, so that's like cutting it close. That's not great. Not no. great. So I haven't looked uh, at my that's... emails. I got an email from like USC saying they had an impressive score, but I I, I didn't look at the Pac-12 one yet. But yay, Pac-12! Hopefully, everyone did good. No one's no one's ineligible because if UCLA's at the nope. bottom and they're still they're still getting a they're passing still grade. eligible. Yeah, there you go. All right, so everybody's safe. Minimum eligibility <laughs> achieved. <laughs> Um, and then he says, two, does Chip have a responsibility to see the rebuild to completion given how many players he removed from the roster and the self-sanctions? Imagine him handing over his self-depleted roster to another coach. I don't know. I mean, a responsibility to see it through is if, like, it's not a foregone conclusion that he's going to see it through. I mean, when, you, when you're down to, like, 69 scholarship players for a season, like, your odds of success in that job have diminished significantly like 
there are like fundamental roster issues now where there weren't ones prior to his arrival that like just by themselves inhibit you from winning. Like it's not that it's a foregone conclusion he won't win, but you probably have to recruit at a much higher level than he has been to date to replace those guys. Because if you're going to have 70 guys on scholarship, they need to be 70 pretty good guys. Um, so you can't recruit at like a low level and then also cut a bunch of dudes and then not replace them with like a, even if you're going to recruit at a low level, recruit a big class, but he recruited a 20 person class. Like it's just not decisions that you make at the beginning of a very successful tenure. Uh, maybe it still happens. I don't know. But um, the does he have a responsibility? I mean, whatever. It depends on what you think like a, a salary gets you. Um, if you're UCLA, um, I think he has, he has a responsibility to do the best job he can probably. Um, but I don't know if that's gonna, I mean, the rebuild might not happen with him at the helm. Um, I mean, it's, they're, they're, (laughs) they're, they're down to 70 scholarship players. Like it's hard. Um, and, and they were three and nine last year. I mean, this is not the, like the ideal start to a tenure. So, yeah, maybe they have a really good year this year, and then it's all like you know water under the bridge. It's just uh, it's it's tough, it's tough to see that from where we're standing right now. Yeah. Um, hmm. Was that his last and thing? Then, oh, okay. No, that's and then good. three. Would you want to do an off-season Pac-12 Olympic sports Disney princess hot takes show with the POC listeners? Um. We kind of do every week. Yeah. To be honest. So that would take some organization on our part, but also from the listeners. Like we feel like they're they're going to send in what they want to send in. If we actually had like a specific thing you had to follow, I'm not sure if we would get that. Do you think we would get that? Like, hey, everyone, do this. Like, do these five things. I think we could. I mean, uh, there's a few different shows that do uh, hot take episodes. We could probably get a pretty decent amount of really insane takes from our listeners. I have faith in our listeners. All right. I don't know if I do. Uh, no, no, I'm just we could uh, would maybe voicemails. You know, like we could do like have people send us a voicemail. See, voice, voicemail, voicemail. You're probably talking a little bit too much, but you know, we get the same sort of people to do the same sort of garbage they always do, but just make it in the form of a hot take. We'll get a lot of them. Oh. I bet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, before we get to the next question, I had a uh, I, I went to look up the APR thing in my email because I know I got something on it, but uh, I also got an email uh, from uh, Colorado, so. We already talked about that they scheduled uh, the game with Missouri that, you know, they played, they played last in 2010, but it's, you know, the, the old game, the, the the fifth down game and all that stuff from 1990. So they're going to play in Boulder, September 20th, 2025, and then in Columbia in 2030 on September 7th. But now they've also scheduled the University of Florida. So, um, you know, talking, getting that uh, SEC ties and stuff there. So they're going to do a home-and-home home series. Uh, this will be the first time. So they're going to be in Gainesville, September 9th, 2028, and then in Boulder the next year, September 8th, 2029. So that's kind of interesting. I thought that. Cool. Uh, Very cool. And then also, as far as the APR scores go, uh, Washington was at the top, 991. And then the, you know, the top. let's do the top three. Washington, Utah, Stanford. The bottom three for football were Washington State, Arizona, and then UCLA and basketball, the top three were Stanford, Washington, and Utah. So same three, just in different order for football and the bottom three, Arizona, Oregon, and UCLA. So uh, Oregon was more middle of the pack in football, but they're closer to the bottom in basketball. But 
just to do that. And yeah, yeah. Completely, completely makes sense. UCLA, Arizona. It's hard to tell the difference between these two institutions <laughs> academically, so it's fine. I don't see any issues there. It seems of a piece with everything else we've seen. Nice. But I just want to give you know give the shout outs mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. the schools that did the best since we were talking about that. Um, this one's from Justin in LA. Uh, he says, guys. Uh, so he's complaining. This is the subject's complaining about. Te- he's 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 complaining about our complaints, or he's complaining about my complaints. Complaining about our complaints about the TV shows. Okay, so last week when you guys were answering a question about Game of Thrones, I found it interesting when David took shots at the show and how he doesn't have faith in the writers and that they aren't creative enough to produce a good ending. To me, those comments are so indicative of the current era and how people think it's awesome to judge everything so negatively. I find it weird that people watch a show and you know they are fans of the show, uh, but they only have negative things to say about it. With Game of Thrones, it's a cultural phenomenon, but you often hear complaints of how this episode sucks and that storyline is stupid, that character is dumb, etc. Isn't that weird? Um, no. Do you think I don't? I mean, I, if you no, watch the show, if you complain well, so, about it, you don't watch it, then that that's dumb. But if you watch a show, you're like, oh, this was ten great episodes, but I didn't like the eleventh one. Like that's fair, I think. I've watched every damn episode, Justin. I liked the show <laughs> great through four or five seasons, and it has gotten much, much worse over the last three seasons. That's just my take on it. Now, the the broader theme here, Justin, and this is something that I've often struggled with with um, a certain type of person, is there are some people who want to consume certain things uncritically at all times, whether it's sports, whether it's entertainment, whatever they want to turn their brains off and just watch and consume i'm not wired that way and there's a good subset of people who are not wired that way i like to think of things critically because what look we're all just passing time until the world ends like let's let's uh, let's engage our brains while we're watching something does it seem like a well-written show to you right now justin does it seem like the characters are well written well sketched out at this point you know eight seasons in versus around the fifth season. Does it seem like Tyrion's done a smart thing in like four seasons? Wasn't he supposed to be smart? Like, what do you think is actually going on when the, the, the writers of the show decide they want to condense what has been an insane amount of plot into two seasons of seven and six episodes? Do you think it's maybe that they're tired of writing about this show? Because that's the real vibe you get from anything. Because all they're doing is writing to set piece after set piece after set piece with absolutely no connective tissue between those set pieces. It's a garbage show right now. I'm going to watch it to the bitter end because I've committed a lot of time and I'm a completist. But it's trash. Admit it to yourself and then you'll be free. You can watch the final two. But it's bad. It's just bad. And just let's... Let's just all get that on there, nice. on the table. Interesting. I kind of, I like, I was, uh, I mean, I love Breaking Bad. I watched it all the way through. I never thought it got bad. But The Walking Dead, I was big, big into. And it just started, to me, it just like sort of jumped the shark and it just wasn't as good anymore. And I stopped watching it. I was like, yep, yeah, I'm not going to watch it. So I'm, I'm not going to complain about it anymore. But I just didn't like the way it was going. I just felt, you know, it just didn't make sense to me anymore. And I just stopped watching that one. So, but you're a completist, so you'll finish it off, right? Oh, of course they will. I mean, it's only two more episodes. Whatever. And it's like a cultural event. I want to be part of that cultural event. Do I maybe want to crap on that cultural event while it's happening? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) But 
it's because I have deeply felt opinions about it. Yeah. Like I, I'm not I'm not developing this just simply for contrarianism. Like I liked the show for a long time. I read the stupid books. I liked the books. It seems like uh, they maybe hate the entire genre and they don't like what they're writing about, and it it's kind of infuriating because I think somebody else would have done better with the last two three seasons. All right. Well, he continues. Please note this isn't just about uh, Game of Thrones, but with all popular entertainment, people will find ways to hate it. Maybe the hate makers. Uh, I'm sorry, maybe the hate makes them stand out and look more intelligent since they have such high and sophisticated standards. For me, I just enjoy the ride and get excited for what comes next and have appreciation for something that I'll always remember. But I can't wait for after the show's finale to hear David say, that wasn't good enough for me. The, he already said that. This should, this should have happened instead. That character didn't do, didn't do enough. Why wasn't he there uh, when that happened? Why wasn't she there when this happened? They should be drinking beer instead of wine. I'm outraged. Anyway, just another random thing to talk about next week. Thanks, Justin from L.A. So Justin wants to consume uncritically. And that's fine. Yeah. That's a choice to make. I, I don't make that choice. I would rather have my brain turned on when I'm watching things or watching sports. And it's always been the way I've been. So He would be like know. the sunshine pumper on the message board, right? Like. They don't want to know, like, if, you know, oh, UCLA is uh, 0 for 15 on their first third, you know, third down conversions of the year. Like, they don't want to hear that. They want to, like, I, I want to hear something positive about the school. I'm just supporting well, the program. Like, they don't want to hear, like, here, a negative thing. And the interesting thing, because I've been studying this for a while, because, like, this is a very clear dynamic that plays out on message boards all the time. And I, I don't – I mean, obviously, there's some personal acrimony that builds in over time with some of these message board fights. But I don't pers often find it that it is the critical folks who are calling out the pumpers all the time. What it is is generally the sunshine pumping folks, the people who want to consume uncritically, they want to convert you too. Like, uh. they, don't, they don't want this other – like, they don't want to feel – they don't want to even read a negative thing about – the thing that they're consuming uncritically like they can't handle it and so it's just it's i don't know it's a really interesting dynamic uh justin i completely get where you're coming from it's it's fine if you want to consume stuff that way it's just not the way everyone does and it's not because i want to find a reason to hate it like i said loved the show for a long time if you scroll through my twitter you'll find really positive stuff about game of thrones like from three or four years ago it just hasn't been good like the last two seasons, especially, have been bad. Um, it's been poorly written, yeah, poorly plotted out, poorly characterized, and I, I just, uh, you know, that's. And maybe, maybe I, uh, maybe I put it a little bit harshly, but man, yeah. it's, it's, and it's, it's I think not been great. Yours is, uh, I mean, I think it's a critical opinion, but it's also an informed one. I do get it. I think there's people that are go on Twitter. They'll look at a tweet. They don't even read the story. And they're making all kinds of comments about something that they, they don't even know about. Like they didn't like people are like, did you read the story? Well, it must have been about this. I read the tweet. Like, no, that's not what it is. So I think there are some people that are just happy to criticize things. Uh, but I wouldn't yeah. say that's the case for you in this situation, obviously. No, no, obviously yeah. not. I'm always well informed about everything I speak about on this <laughs> program. <clears throat> all right. Uh, this is from our man, Bernie, our good friend, Bernie. All right. Hi, guys. I was wondering if you would give me your views on what is transpiring at Arizona with all that is coming out in the trial where the FBI is revealing wiretaps of Sean Miller discussing payments to players and has continued denial that it ever occurred. 
Does the university place such a value on him that they risk the damage to their brand? They talk on their board about saving their recruiting class and it just costs of doing business. But come on. I mean, really, your thoughts. Um, I don't think Sean Miller was caught on tape. I think the assistants were talking about Sean Miller, if I'm not. That's my that's my understanding as well, that they were caught on tapes discussing him right. paying players. It seemed, Mike, I, Bernie, I'm not like d- deep diving into this, but my you know 30,000 foot view is it seems like Arizona's not going to do anything with Sean Miller. The NCAA just opened up an investigation. Um, I think if you're going to get Sean Miller out of there, it's going to be like by force somehow from the NCAA. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen on the legal side with him, but he's certainly been talked about quite a bit there. But I think it's a like an ex-con or whatever. like Someone that's been convicted of something is, is the guy talking about it, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it seems like it's going to be some sort of battle. But now that the NCAA is involved, who knows? We'll see what happens there. But it doesn't. It does look good uh, for Arizona to, to me. I don't know. What, you probably have a more informed opinion, Dave. Uh, not super much. I, I I more or less agree with you. I they've married themselves to Miller. Like they probably had an opportunity to jettison him at a couple different points in the last year, year and a half. Yeah. Um, and they haven't chosen to do so, and instead they've kind of doubled up and uh, and uh, doubled down, doubled down. Double down, Ryan. Next, That's the blackjack phrase that I'm going. Next time for I go there. to Vegas, I'm going to say double up when I get uh, <laughs> double me up, uh, sir. Six, um, of, six yeah. to five. Double up. <laughs> um, <laughs> they've kind of doubled down on their relationship with him uh, to kind of keep him in the fold, and, and it just it seems like they've overly committed to him to the point where I almost think it would have to be an NCAA investigation that's so catastrophic that it leads to like administration changes. Like, I don't know if the same administration can make the decision now to fire him after, like, committing so hard to him, even denying that they were having an NCAA investigation for a while until it, like, apparently got too far along that they couldn't deny it anymore. So, I, I yeah, I think there's um, – I, I my gut right now is given that the FBI thing has so far turned out to be more or less a dud when it comes to bringing down head coaches um, – He's probably going to stay, and he'll probably be fine. Uh, but we'll see. Um, maybe it's just a long tail on this investigation, and it'll take a while to play out. But when it does, it, they bring the hammer. But as of right now, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see him going anywhere in, imminently, at least. Yeah, I told our intern he was like, "Oh, you're going to put some of the Sean Miller stuff in there." I'm like, "No, we don't talk about basketball." But we got a question. No, God, so no. It would have been nice to get some notes from that. We, we answer all questions, as Bernie is usually frustrated by. But in this instance. Bernie, we answered your off-topic question about Pac-12 basketball. Yeah, nice. Uh, we do have a text message. Uh, thanks for sending a text. Paul in New York City. There's New York City people that like the Pac-12. Uh, very cool. Uh, hey, guys. Utah fan here. Catching up on a few recent episodes, and I have a question, complaint, and some advice for my fellow listeners. So he gives us like a list of, uh, I think, four things here. One is a question. Uh, what realistic changes can the conference make to help get the Pac-12 teams into the college football playoff next year? For example, even though the schedules are made years in advance, could they push to move to an SEC model with less conference games and an extra cupcake late in the season? It doesn't seem to hurt their chances at all with the voters. Uh, we kind of discussed that in the beginning, right? That's not really a, a plan. No, it's not really a plan, and uh, you'll get an argument from um, our more statistically-minded uh, listeners that that actually wouldn't work super well um, because what kind of keeps the parity going is that the SEC only play, and this is from an advanced stats perspective, they only play eight conference opponents, and then they have an extra cupcake, which drops their strength of schedule, essentially. 
Um, and if the Pac-12 then went to eight and dropped down and played a cupcake instead of a conference opponent, it would drop their strength of schedule commensurately um, and, that, and now well below what the SEC is currently. So that's the advanced stats argument. I still don't know how much the committee is using advanced stats, so I don't know how much water that would hold. So, But even in theory, I don't know if it would help a ton to drop down to eight. Um, it might help a little bit. It might help marginally with just impression-based voters. Um, gosh, this is a tough question. I mean, because I think it's so dependent on the quality of teams and the quality of quarterbacking in the conference, and even with – um, you know, Justin Herbert, KJ Costello, I mean, those guys being back, um, and, you know, Jacob Eason potentially coming in at Washington and, and tearing things up. I don't, I don't know if the quarterbacking is still going to be at a super, super high level next year. Yeah. Um, at least compared to years in the years past, I think Washington will be really good. I think Oregon has a chance to be pretty good. I think Stanford has a chance to be pretty good. I just don't know if anybody strikes me as one. And, and I, I just don't think there's like a quick fix solution you could make. I think it's just, it's so dependent on the quality of the teams and, and uh, in the PAC 12, especially on, on who the, who the quarterback is and how good he is. Yeah. I would say what you can control is don't put your marquee teams in bad positions that not, you didn't force like, Washington to lose on the road at Stanford or whatever, you know, like, yeah, less unforced errors. Yeah. That's probably a good way to say it. Yeah. You don't want that. So have a human look at it. And if, if Oregon state, no offense to the Beavers, if they have to go on the road a Friday after a, you know, a road trip, whatever, like that's okay. I don't want Washington doing that. You know, uh, Utah won the South. I don't want Utah going and being at a disadvantage because those are the teams that have the best chance to, you know, get something good, you know, get a good, uh, playoff but you'll get an actual playoff berth so make sure your marquee teams aren't going to be at some sort of disadvantage um it's not like you have to put them in advantageous situations just don't give them a chance to shoot themselves in the foot because the pac-12 is just teetering on the edge of uh that could be good but you know could fall backwards and teams will lose on their own but don't put them in an extra position where they have to go on the road and you know Washington play in Oregon off a bye and all that stuff. Like, don't do that stuff. Like, that's dumb. You can fix that. Yeah. Uh, he has a complaint. Uh, I am upset that the draft recap included no mention of Utah getting a kicker and a punter drafted. This should have been discussed uh, at least for the jokes. That is fair. I, I, it's just an expectation at this point. Yeah. But, when Utah has an eligible kicker and an eligible punter, they will get drafted. And they were it seems just obvious. They were like middle, like they weren't like seventh <laughs> round too, right? Like they were like fairly high, right? Weren't they? I don't remember exactly, but let's look. Where were they? Let do? me look it up. You you bring in this stuff. I just all right. Matt Gay was fifth round. Okay, that's not bad. And our man Mitch was. Fourth round, I mean, yeah. That's, so I thought, like fourth, fifth round, like um, that's pretty darn good. Uh, yeah, and not quite Sebastian Janikowski getting drafted in the first round, but still pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, just for um, Paul in New York, who's a Utah fan, I didn't put this note in, but I know Bruce Feldman tweeted he actually spoke with uh, Kyle Whittingham this past week and said he feels like he's going to have the best defensive line he's had there. So. Uh, that's saying something. So there, I mean, it could be an interesting year for for Utah again. You know, winning the South. Now the expectation is going to be even higher. We'll see how they can handle that. Um, number three, 
he has some advice uh, for Bernie and all Disney complainers. There's this awesome new invention called Fast Forward. I encourage you to use it to skip the princess talk and get straight to the hot takes. Uh, and four, he has some advice for the buy, sell, short guy. Stay away from the stock market. <laughs> yes, probably. Good stuff. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, uh, thanks, Paul in New York. All right, this is from Boyd in San Ramon. Possible ongoing topic for the boring offseason. Hey, guys, how about looking at the conference schedule one week at a time for the next 14 weeks? What are the biggest games of the week? What is an interesting under-the-radar under game? You could look at week one this episode, week two next episode, and so on. How about it? Real football content. What do you think? I don't know how interesting that would be, Ryan. We could maybe do it. I just don't know if it's gonna, if it's really gonna, gonna, you know, grind anyone's gears. What's what's a good phrase? Um, yeah, it's a, if it's really gonna get get the people going, tickle their like, fancy. I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, it might be worth looking at. I think the more interesting ones will be the first few weeks. Once it gets to conference play, it's just like everybody playing everybody, but. Yeah, you know, there'll be some more interesting games. Um, I mean, I could, we could put it as a note. I mean, it's you know, it probably only take a few minutes each week. Yeah. Um, let me hold on. I'm going to put this in our. You probably don't know where our document is because you don't look at it. But I will. Uh, <laughs> um, so each week, oh, see, so you're in there. <laughs> I'm about to write. It I, I, I just, I just cursed it, Ryan. <laughs> in the document, so he is in our shared in there. Okay, so each week. Look at best Pac-12 games. Okay, this is great radio. All right, awesome. So we that's in there. So uh, wait, who who wrote that? That was from Boyd in San Ramon. So we'll so I'll remember. So some people make suggestions and we don't ever remember who they are. So I'll put that in there. Great. All right, cool, cool Boyd. Uh, we can we can definitely do that. Uh, I'll have the intern put the schedules in there. I like that. Um, okay, this is from Scott in Washington. Dabo's pay and high school coach who never punts. Uh, hi, Ryan slash Dave. To put Dabo Sweeney's contract in context versus what the top-end Pac-12 programs are paying, Chris Peterson is the highest-paid coach in the conference, and his assistants uh, as a group are the second-highest-paid behind Oregon. Dabo Sweeney at $9.3 million is only $1 million less than the combined income of all of Washington's head coach and assistants. As you both uh, referenced, the damage... The money arms race the Pac-12 is losing won't be felt so much against the Blue Blood programs east of Arizona, but will be against the Jeff Frams of the world or the ability. Brom. Brom. Is that... He means Brom. Oh, Jeff. He means Brom. I'm like, who's Jeff Fram? So Jeff Brom's of the world or the ability of other programs to throw an extra year or $100,000 more on the contract of a good assistant coach to pry them away from the Pac-12 or keep them from moving back out here. Do you agree with that or? Yeah, I think that's yeah, right. That makes sense to me. Uh, yep. Now, for, I think we've talked about that too. Now for my question. Two weeks ago, you talked about the high school coach who never punts and always goes for it on fourth down, no matter where he is on the field. Any chance you could get someone who covers that team on the podcast to talk about that? We actually wanted to just get the coach. Like, it's a high school coach. Like, we should be able to get that. Um, mm -hmm. But. That, We've made a lot of effort to do that. No, yes. Yeah, really no effort. Uh, but it's, it's good a reminder, um, you know. I'll put that in our shared doc. Put, are you actually going to write something that's not a swear at me? Uh, some profanity laced at me. Um, okay. So we'll put that in there, uh, Scott. They said, this is still going. My question would be, uh, 
is he a forward thinker who is changing the paradigm of football like Chip did at Oregon with the read zone until teams figured it out? Or does this coach have such a Jimmy and Joe's talent advantage that he could win a hundred different ways and just chooses this one because it's fun for him and the team? I suspect it's the latter, not the former, as if he was playing teams close to or equal in the talent, the risk would not be worth the reward. Uh, as a real-world example, I would point to the current Jeopardy champion who makes a living in Vegas as a sports better, ironically. Uh, yes, he is using a unique strategy of risking it all when he gets the daily doubles. And since he's getting them right uh, in round one, he is building up such a lead that he's making round two and final Jeopardy Jeopardy uh, essentially meaningless. Uh, I have not watched. Have you watched it at all? I haven't watched any of that. Not a bit. No, okay. Not a bit. My pushback would be since he's already the smartest guy in the room. Uh, has the quickest finger so we can uh, ring in uh, first for the vast majority of the time and gets first choice on the board in round one, beginning uh, being the returning champion, he doesn't need to take that risk to win the game. Just let his talents do their thing, so to speak, and he still uh, gets in the end and gets the win, and it didn't take an unnecessary risk along the way that ends up costing himself. Thanks for the offseason podcast. Go dog Scott in Washington. Um, I don't know much about it, but I, I think it's awesome because then you're you're making a lot more money. I hate it when people. Oh, my wife likes uh, Wheel of Fortune. People like they get one letter T. That's three hundred fifty dollars. I'll buy a vowel. It's like why are you buying vowels? You want to get money. You don't want to like spend money. So I I'm I'm into this guy betting big. If he's smart enough, bet big, and you can, you know the. the I think the reward's great because you're doubling your money. You know that that's the, the. It's not. There's some risk about winning the overall game, but if you win and he's been winning. You're going to get paid way more than the person that was risk averse and just like, well, I'm just going to be safe here. It's like, no, I mean, that guy wins 15 grand and you win like 50. Like, that's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, with Jeopardy, I get it a lot more. Wheel of Fortune is tough because you've got random risk um, if you hit bankrupt or lose a turn or whatever. Um, but with Jeopardy, your only risk is that you miss the question, that you get it wrong. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't seem like he has a, like, he doesn't get much wrong. Um, and he's probably studied this stuff the way all these people have kind of cracked that game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's – I don't know why more people haven't tried to maximize the way he has. I mean, I think he's combining a, a good money maximization strategy with obviously good reflexes and everything that he can hit that buzzer right at the right time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like Ken Jennings did it, whatever, like 50 times more in a row than this guy, but he only made like 600 grand more. Like he made two point five. This guy's already at like one point nine. So, yeah, he's 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 he he's figured it out that the main thing is not just to win, but maximize your money while you're winning. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's cool. Nothing's better than watching like the person. It, there's a there's that risk in Wheel of Fortune every time you spin, but you spin and you still like try. You know, you I don't I hate that. Like they buy a vowel and then they they spin and get bankrupt and then the, the person next to you ends up getting the benefit of what you spent. I just like to go, I want to try to make money. You know, you're on the game show to make some money, spin that damn wheel, get some numbers and, and pick some letters. That's my strategy. I'm with you. All right. I'm with you. All right. This is from our man, Hithliday. <clears throat> this is a long one. I'm going to stretch. I've had a lot of the long okay. ones. You get to, you get to do this. One. Yeah. Yeah. And his are always, you know, a little convoluted, a little, little odd phrasing wise. The big muddy is the title. Uh, I listened with interest. Oh, this is going to be sarcastic. <laughs> I listened with interest to your argument last week that because the Pac-12 had only a few late first-round draft picks, 
that none of them were quarterbacks, and that schools like Stanford and Oregon didn't produce first-round picks in the quantity they usually do, the NFL draft was a meaningful indictment of the conference. My favorite moment, however, was when it dawned on you that you'd forgotten each of the quarterbacks with the best prospects, KJ Costello, Justin Herbert, and Khalil Tate, all elected to return to school this year. That, this was, I think, the quintessential moment from the podcast. First, doing so required a near total absorption with the staggering underperformance in Los Angeles, which always somehow both dominates the airtime and yet is never quite enough. Second, despite realizing you'd spent 30, uh, 23 minutes constructing an argument about over 1,000 Pac-12 football players so flimsy that a single 20-year-old making a different draft decision would have upended it, you had the courage to upload it anyway. And third... Recalling those top QBs draft prospects caused you boys to share a very sweet giggle, a harmony only achieved by those on opposite ends of the self-awareness spectrum. Ryan's childlike freedom from it and David's crushing excess. Oh, yeah. And then you threw in a shot at Jake Browning. Ah, to live in that moment forever. Um, Okay. The three guys he mentioned, if you're projecting how many of them. None of them would have been first rounders this year. I don't think so. Yeah, it's not like Justin Herbert would have came in and been the number three pick. Yeah, but you got to remember, you got to remember, you got to remember our man Hithliday, uh-huh. this objective savant. True, is a little, a little bit of an Oregon fan. Like a L- little, little, little bit, a little bit. He he probably heard that stuff about Justin Herbert being a first round pick after like October, and he was like, yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, notwithstanding the fact that he was like, you know, fine, not great, fine. Um, so no, I don't think he was going to be a first round pick. I don't think Khalil Tate was going to be a. Hell, I don't know where Khalil Tate no. would have been drafted. But Costello would not have round. been. No, these guys are, you know, I think Herbert probably would have been the best of the bunch, and he's second or third rounder probably, and the other two are mid-rounders. So, now if someone, no, I don't think either of them, any of them making a different decision would have changed the complexion. But Herbert's got the tools, like the, I mean, someone would fall in love with him just like the Giants did with the sixth pick, and, you know, maybe he goes higher than you think, but I, you know, I don't feel like he was a surefire first rounder. The other two guys certainly were not. So, yeah, but I, I do love, because he did nail it though, that, um, our, our, our research was just flimsy enough that like, <laughs> it was like halfway through the argument where I was like, Oh wait. Yeah. All those quarterbacks, they were all guys who decided to return. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. You don't pay us for our research. You don't pay us at all. No. All right, Hethliday, here are your questions. Questions about four NFL draft-related events that were sadly crowded out by this adventure. Uh, one, there were only five specialists drafted, and two were from Utah, Matt Gay and Mitch Wisnowski. Immediately afterwards, kicker Andrew Strouch, Strouch, I don't really know how to pronounce his name, transferred from UCLA to Utah. Is he going to be the next great Ute specialist? No, definitely not. Was he not? Definitely He wasn't not. very good? He, no, he's walk-on caliber. He'll be a nice walk-on caliber guy there, but no, he's not going to okay. uh, not going to light the world on fire. Uh, two, Arizona only lost two guys from their front seven to the draft or graduation, but they were probably their best two tackles, P.J. Johnson and Derek Bowles. Good sign or bad sign for the Wildcats defense, and what do you think about the job Marcel Yates is doing? I don't know what the schedule is, but I'm guessing Arizona plays Oregon next year. Am I right? It must be yeah. true. Because <laughs> otherwise, he doesn't. He, he does not ask questions about teams where he is. Like I would guess, not even, not even just that. I would guess also that like he's doing a preseason preview of these different teams, like a preseason look at Arizona, and Arizona's like next or soon to be on the agenda. Nice. Um, we know. We know how our man Hithliday works at this point. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, you don't want to lose your two best players. 
but they, I think this is a this is the group that remember a couple of years back when they started a whole bunch of freshmen. I think now that's they're becoming they're all upperclassmen now or seniors now. So um, curious to see how that plays out. Uh, I think Marcel Yates is doing a pretty good job. I don't know. What do you think, Dave? I mean, they've been they were mediocre as hell last year, possibly you know depending on your definition, bad. Of mediocre like mediocre to bad. Uh, but the year before, they were a lot worse. So there was improvement last year. I was maybe expecting a little bit more because um, they did return a lot of youth from the previous years and youth that had flashed a little bit. So I was expecting a little bit more. Um, they were, they were, uh, you know, uh, they were they were better than they were the previous year. I don't know what I, I, I I'm not super high on Marcel Yates as a coordinator. Um, I don't know how much better they could do, like given the current you know, makeup of their defense. I, I think there's some pieces there, um, but no, not a big fan of Yates, not a big fan of, uh, of everything they're doing there, but I think they will be probably the same sort of defense this year. Maybe a, again, a little bit better, but um, when, when you're at a school like that and you, you know, your defense is going to, you know, look a little bit more experienced and stuff like that. You're, you've really got to do better than like middling nationally. And they're, I can't imagine they're going to be much better than like 60th S&P plus defense. And that's not yeah. great. All right. Um, and then uh, three Cal's excellent linebacker, Jordan Kanashik wasn't drafted. Were you surprised? And what do you think of the bears defense without him? He, he ended up signing with like the Carolina Panthers, I believe. Um, and I think it's more like, he just doesn't look like the prototypical NFL linebacker. Um, but had production, you know, so I, I'm not s- surprised, but he's one of those guys that, you know, if you get good production on the field, you get signed somewhere, you could make a team because they're like, Oh, you know, well, you don't look like this. You didn't run this or whatever. Um, but you get on the field and you're in mini camp and stuff and you catch people's eyes. So I think he's got a chance, but I wasn't, I didn't like study the Cal draft. But I, I didn't, th- I thought he was like kind of on the cusp. I didn't know if a lot of people felt he was going to be drafted. I yeah, I thought uh, the way I was I, I was reading everything before it was that, you know, a chance, but not certainly not going to be a, a lock to be drafted. And that's we got this question during the season as well. And I think that's more or less the take we had at that point. Um, I think he's a guy who when he gets in a camp, he might really impress some people. But I don't think he was ever going to be a measurables guy that was going to really blow anyone's socks off with you know, his athleticism. Um, but if he gets into a camp and he shows that, you know, he can, you know, diagnose what an offense is doing on a given play and be where he needs to be and make sure tackles and all that kind of stuff. Linebacker is one of those funny positions where I think it, 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 you can kind of build up and maybe start special teams, but eventually, um, play a lot of games, uh, just based on, not just based on, but based largely on your acumen and your kind of ability to read things. Yeah. So. I mean, you, you, as a linebacker, you can be a beast on special teams and still make the roster and then kind of work your way up. I mean, there's, there's opportunities there. So. Yeah. And I think, I think the defense will take a, take a hit from it, but also I think, um, they'll be fine. I mean, I, I think you'll, you'll maybe see an early season thing where they don't know exactly who's going to come up with, you know, X number of tackles, but, um, I, I think a lot of these defenses, um, I, I think they're a scheme more than anything. Like Washington replaces like seven guys a year, and they're the same defense every yeah. year. Um, I, I think Cal, 
maybe not quite the same thing, but close to it. I mean, they're running a pretty similar thing. Um, so I would, I would anticipate them more or less moving on without too much trouble. All right. He has one last and one. And then finally, jeez. Stanford lost not only Bryce Love, but tight end Caden Smith and receivers J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and Trenton Irwin. That's virtually all of the Cardinals' last two seasons' offensive production. What do you think their offense looks like going forward? If you remember last year, it was like 98% of the offense came back. Um, Now a lot of it's gone. Uh, So I'm curious to see what they're able to do. Um, But the offense kind of changed from like the, the power run to... Throwing the football over the field. I don't know. Do you think it's going to stick like that? Or do you think they're going to try to go back to, to running the football? I'm not, I'm not sure, to be to be honest with you. I don't know what direction they're going to go offensively. But they, they brought so much production back last year. And then now there's a lot of it gone. Yeah, I don't. I, I, they have Colby Parkinson still. Um, I think they, I mean, they've still got some pieces in that receiving core uh connor weddington osiris st brown like they've got some pieces where they can probably do something similar to what they did towards the back half of the year but what made them devastating and tough to tough to deal with was the size like nobody could match up when they threw out colby parkinson Caden smith and jj arcega whiteside like you can't match up with that that's three you know basically basketball players out there um who are gonna catch anything thrown in the end zone um so I don't know if they have anything like that. Colby Parkinson by himself provides a mismatch because he's like, I don't know, like 7'5". Um, but I don't know that they've got that combo in place. Um, but their backfield, I mean, that's going to be uh, a real question mark at this point. Um, who's going to take those those reps? Um, so I don't... I, I think it's too early to say what this is going to look like because hell six games into last year was too early to say what Stanford was going to look like at the end of the year. Um, I would anticipate, well, I wouldn't anticipate if it were me doing it. Um, I would probably lean on what they were trying to do at the end of last year, which is kind of going to, I, I don't know what you would call it, a power air raid or something. Um, and, and going a little bit more pass happy because I think, if you're looking at the strength of this team right now, it's probably still the receiving core, even with those three losses. Um, but and KJ Costello, obviously, um, his ability to throw the ball and and especially his ability to throw it high um, and get these guys bringing it down. Um, yeah, I would, I would, I would probably lean on the pass again. Yeah, throw it high. Uh, that seems to work. Okay, this is from Alex in Pasadena. <laughs> um, we kind of talked about this, but I'll read it for you. Five star recruits, boys, nice job. Keeping the podcast going during the offseason, you make time pass by. Still not sure if it's in a good way or just a way, but hey, you're doing it. Well, thanks. It might not be a good way, but it, you are making time pass. I like that. Now to my questions. St. John Bosco, QB, DJ Ugalele, committed to Clemson today. Clemson is loading up on dudes, all caps. Should the Pac-12 be concerned that homegrown talent is heading east besides winning, what advice would you have for all the Pac-12 programs to keep West Coast guys? Also, what's the chatter with West Coast recruiting experts like Biggins and Huffman? Uh, do they hear, two guys giggling when the Pac-12 is mentioned? Thanks again. And keeping you, Alex, from Pasadena. Maybe we should get Biggins or Huffman on for a quick segment about what's going on here. Yeah, that wouldn't be, uh, that might be worth a bad deal um, if there's concern. Yeah, I think they would be experts in seeing... Uh, that, and they've, they've covered it a long time, too. So they could test my theory like, yeah, guys used to leave the state in the 90s and then it's kind of stopped. 
uh, is it is it starting up again? So they, I think either one of those guys would be good to, because they've been doing this a long time. A long time. Yeah. Really long time. All right, cool. And then uh, Mike in Oakland, you ready for this one? Sure. Wondering about Wonderlick woes. Hi, Ryan and Dave. I thought after Kyler Murray's Wonderlick score hit the airwaves that some of the Kyler Murray's some of Kyler Murray's shine would be tarnished. However, the Cardinals stuck with him, and it didn't seem to make a difference. I was wondering about your thoughts on this test, and I wanted to know what you think is the most important trait for an NFL QB. Please rank the following in order of importance from most to least critical for NFL success. All right, so a couple – well, all right, do we want to just do the ranking? Because that might – yeah, let's just do that. All okay. right, so w- one, college or colleges attended. Two, hand size. Three, height. Four, Wonderlick score. Five, 40 time. Six, favorite Disney princess or transformer. <laughs> thanks and go Cougs. Okay, so he won- – what What was Kyler Murray's Wonderlick score? I didn't see that. Did you – I – so I, I, I try strongly not to care about any of the NFL draft stuff because it's all so stupid. Okay. Um, so let me Google it real quick. Okay. So do you, so you don't think it's important trait for a quarterback, like the Wonderlick score? I think there've been some successful quarterbacks with low scores and some bad quarterbacks with high scores. Um, I don't know. I haven't looked into how it plots, like whether it's generally correlated with success or not. Um, I, I, I generally think standardized tests are stupid and bad. Um, and that the the skills needed to do well on them are generally not what you think they are. Um, so I would take it all with a grain of salt. I can't imagine it's that important. He scored a 20. Okay, that's all right. Yeah, that's not actually even that bad compared to what a lot of guys have done in the past, which leads me to believe it's also another test that you can just prep for, and that, again, speaks to uh, a different skill than... Just if there, if it is like a single ability. digit test, though, like a test score, that I, I would be concerned. You know, like, uh, do I want that guy running my franchise? You know. Yeah, but I, I want to say there have been some really good guys who've had really low test scores for this. I don't know. I, like, I, I don't know, but whatever. Anyway, okay. So, of these list of this list, I would probably. I'd have to go hand size first. Um, I, I'm. What about the prison Disney princesses? No. Oh, I mean that matters. Obviously, they've got to have a ability to think on their feet and come up with a good answer. Like yeah. if they come at you with, I don't know, Sleeping Beauty or some garbage, yeah. you got to kick them right out. But you know, if they have like a, a modern Disney princess who's like self actualized and everything, then you're like, okay, this this guy's got a good head on his shoulders. Yeah. Um, hey, real quick, I found a list of so the bottom. These are, I guess, bad Wonderlick scores, and these are quarterbacks that I think that did pretty well. Uh, well, Vince Young had a bad score. Uh, he was drafted third. Jeff George, yeah, he had a you know pretty long career. Cordell Stewart, uh, Charlie Batch, Steve McNair, long career. Jim Kelly didn't score very well. Uh, Randall Cunningham, Dan Marino. I don't know they're. He said, these are guys at the bottom 25 I could find with all of what... Oh, they, so these are scores of 22 or lower. Okay, so these aren't like horrible, horrible scores. These are co- comparable to what Murray just yeah. did. So, uh, Patrick, Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes did a 24. Okay, like Derek Carr, Michael Vick, Dante Culpepper. Just look, you know, yeah. there's there's plenty of good names. McNabb, uh, Cam Newton, Brett Favre, um, 
Trent Dilfer, Chad Henney. Okay, there's a bunch of guys in there. I would like to see what if it was like below 12 or something. I didn't I didn't find that, but um okay. Sorry, sorry for the interruption. Okay, so first is favorite Disney princess or transformer. Most important, right? Like that's obvious. Yeah, okay. obviously. Then uh, but okay, after that, hand size I would probably go. Um so I've I've said on this this show before, I don't think height is that important. But because he doesn't list things like arm length or general size, like your, you know, how physically built out you were, I'll go height number two, yeah. if only because it's an indicator of those two other things. Yeah, I don't think height in and of itself is important, but because he didn't list the other stuff, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go height second. Um, so now we're down then to I'll go, forty time Wonderlic score or college, college attended. Then I'll go forty, just because I think it's a good measure of overall athleticism. Yeah. So this is all physical stuff you're putting in there. Yeah, and then I'll go Wonderlick. Then I'll go the college attended. Because we've seen, you know, guys go to smaller schools and have success. So it doesn't matter if you're Ben Roethlisberger, you went to Miami of Ohio. If you know he was big and strong, had big hands. Um, yeah, so that would make sense. It didn't matter that he went to Miami of Ohio. Like you're not going to give him like you're not going to ding him a lot because of that. Yeah, the Wonderlick score thing, and also like. You don't have to be a rocket science to play football. Like, you don't. It's just, even playing quarterback, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. Yeah. It's it's not. It's not that complex. I mean, it's 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 a complex job in a in a pretty complex game, but it's a game, and you're just doing, you're, you're, you're throwing a ball yeah. and, like, looking at where a defense and a couple of safeties are going to be on every play. Like, come on. It's, it, it's whatever. It's memorization. Yeah. Like, yeah. You can do that. Um, yeah, you can probably handle it. That was it for that one, right? Yep, that's it. Okay, we've got PJ, who's a Coog fan. Uh, Dave or Ryan? Ryan or Dave? Gentlemen, greetings from Germany. We love international questions. Thanks, uh, PJ. <laughs> uh, I was listening to the Draft Recap podcast recently and paid special attention to the discussion about emails and voice messages. I quickly realized that I'm a Ryan clone in this area. I am a serial message slash email eraser, and I cannot stand to have unread emails. Text notifications must be cleared immediately. 100%. That's me, too. Uh, this got me to thinking, are the podcast listeners more like Ryan or Dave? This one podcast set me on a personal roller coaster after Ryan was uh, out to a commanding lead because of the email slash message, message discussion. I realized that I, much like Dave, hate 99.9% <laughs> of everyone and everything for whom I come in contact with. Back to even. Later on, Dave discussed wearing one shirt over and over to work out. For God's sake, Dave, you can get a three-pack of workout shirts for like $20. Uh, Ryan, back in the lead. I thought the race was over. But then Dave ignited the nitrous canister last seen in Fast and Furious 34 when he talked about having kids so he wouldn't have to do chores anymore. My <laughs> oldest is about to the age where he can mow the yard, and I cannot wait for that day. Dave surges past Ryan and across the finish line. So as much as I hate to admit it, and as terrible as it makes me feel, I realize at the end of the show that in the podcast of Champions Personality Test, I am much more Dave than Ryan. <laughs> I do not plan to share this with my wife or anyone else I've met. <laughs> this is funny. <laughs> so anyway, I wonder how many other devoted listeners there are like me. Everyone wants to think they're... <laughs> Everyone wants to think they're Ryan, but I guess... But <laughs> I can't even read that. You do? Like, that's pretty sad if you do. 
Not my eyes are all blurry. I can't even see. Uh, but I guess the majority uh, will be hit with the same cold, hard sledgehammer of reality that hit me. I am Dave. Maybe an ever scientific Twitter poll is in order. Keep up the great work, Ryan. Go Coos. <laughs> Sorry, that was funny. My uh, eyes are like watering up. Like I couldn't see that after a while. So. That's really good. That's so really you good. really want to be Ryan, but you're really Dave. I'd be interested in what the informal poll tells us. Yeah, we could do one on. We could use the Twitter. Are you Ryan or are yeah. you Dave? Um, are you a Ryan or a Dave? Yeah, you've listened to enough shows. You know, you know us. If you're, you know, if you're more conservative or more liberal, whatever. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of things. Oh no, I think you can get down to like innate personality traits, even beyond those simple simple surface level things. Yeah, like you can get to some. I mean, people who've been listening from show one, they've got some, they've got some insight. Yeah. Like they know. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I'm excited for the answers. <laughs> I love that you want to be. <laughs> oh God. Okay. That's <laughs> your next. <laughs> All right. This is uh, from Anthony podcast question. Hi, Ryan and Dave. What are your thoughts on the NBA playoffs? Would you take the Warriors or the field? I don't know a single team that's in the NBA playoffs. Um, I'm, you know, I watch the, I, I try to watch some. My wife hates it. I'm not, I don't watch the NBA a lot. Uh, but the Warriors definitely look beatable now. Um, it's tied with Houston. Uh, I, they might play tonight. Uh, today's Wednesday. Um, but, you know, the Bucks like, look for real. I think Charles Barkley said that they're going to win it all. I, I mean, I think Houston or Milwaukee could potentially beat the Warriors, but I'm I'm certainly no expert. I might take the field on this, um, but not thinking that anyone else has a chance besides uh, either Milwaukee or uh, or Houston. Do you ever watch any of it? I know. Yeah, it's not, there's so much, there's, there's been a lot of flopping and stuff. Um, James Harden with like one I, so red I, eye is pretty funny, but there, there's Pac-12 there. You got Clay Thompson and uh, Harden and stuff, but his one red eye and just like taking step back threes that the guys still jump at him and they still foul him. And he's, he, you know, it's like crazy. Like they, I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. There's, I know there's a lot of flopping and stuff. Chris Paul, who I used to like watching. I don't really like watching him much anymore, but I don't know. It, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I would, I think it's, I like the NBA. It's one of the things like I, I basically sacrificed most sports when I had kids. Like, I'll watch college football and college basketball. But, like, once I, like, if I expand too far out of that, I feel like a deadbeat. Yeah. Like, like I'm just, what am I doing? Like, I should be doing something with my kids or watching them. And also being on East Coast time sucks. It sucks for sports so bad. Oh, yeah. No, that's true. I mean, like, so. I kind of torture my wife if I for in the living room at night and I'd turn on the, you know, TNT or whatever and watch the game. But, like, yeah, if I had kids running around, i probably wouldn't be doing that you'd have to be attending to them and they wouldn't want to watch it so yeah um all right this is uh card sharp cook in henderson nevada recruiting ratios question just saw another quote plans to camp post and that got me thinking about odds so a few questions first how many college quote camps can or does a player uh attend, attend i guess while in high school we, I think they can do as many as their schedule permits, right? Yeah, I don't. So 
you know, if you're going to travel to like a college, you're paying your way. Um, unless you're going like on an official visit where you can, you can do those in, in the spring, but, um, you know, and of course during the season, but yeah, it's, it's really up to you. And sometimes you'll have a group of players from a region, like maybe they'll fly out or drive out to Texas or something and go to a bunch of camps there. Um, I don't think there's any sort of limit and we see some, some high school prospects that are big time prospects play every sport and they just don't play seven on seven. They don't camp and you don't, you know, but they're still good. And there's others that are like, that's their whole focus. Like they're always going to camps, playing on seven, seven every weekend. Uh, but I don't think my knowledge is, I, I don't think there's any kind of limit that you know, oh, you can only go to four camps or whatever. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. How much of an indicator is camping? I know that many players camp without an offer. I mean, I'm sorry, camp. Maybe it doesn't work out an offer, get an offer. Uh, I said without, I, maybe that's what he meant. Um, yeah. yeah, you go to it like you, it, you, you know, you could work out and go to a camp and you don't have an offer from that school. How often does that lead to an offer? I think after bigger camps that schools will hold, there's usually a handful of offers out there. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. it's a local prospect that, uh, you were kind of waiting to see in person, um, and you get them on your camp and then you give them, you offer them a scholarship. Sometimes they're out of state guys that come in that you were looking at and, you know, some DB just locks a bunch of people down and then you bring them into your office and offer them after the camp. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a huge indicator camping. Right. Um, so yeah, I think there's, and there's different varying camps. There are all those satellite camps. There's the camps on campus. There's the elite camps. There's all kinds of different stuff that's going on. So it's hard to know. I mean, there's going to be, very selective camps like i know usc's elite camp used to be very selective didn't it it like was they, would have- they had a rising stars camp that they still do but now it's more of a money grab now it's more of like there's hundreds of dudes there and it's it's and you you pay to go to a lot of these camps um i think a lot of schools are doing that now where you're making money off doing these and they'll but you go you want to find that elite camp you know, if there's some sort of one where it's only you know, several dozen players as opposed to several hundred, uh, then it's more of a, you know, it's a less inclusive uh, camp. And those are the ones where that's a pretty good, if you're going to one of those, you probably have a decent shot at getting an offer. If, you know, even if if you're an undergrad, maybe next year or whatever, but I I think there's, those are the ones you want to pay more attention to. Yeah. Uh, I said, I love to know the uh, other odds, like how many offers uh, nets, how many commits. Okay, so like, if you know, if you offer two hundred fifty kids, I mean the commits are usually about the same, right? Like, there's you got the twenty five limit. Sometimes you know you're only taking seventeen, but some schools make tons of offers, and other schools are a lot more selective. Yeah, so I, I kind of get what he's getting at, which is like trying to you know build a model for all this stuff. But the problem is. Um, assessing what is a real offer and what isn't because a lot of schools will just blanket offer guys, but they're not actually committable offers and they might never be. Um, but it's just something that the kid can, you know, tout on Twitter or whatever. And then they, that's basically like the first conversation is we're offering you, but it's not actually like whatever, um, not actually meaningful. Um, yeah, I don't know that, I don't know that even staffs are looking at it in a super analytical way, like assessing yield rates and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I don't know if they care because it's not, I mean, they probably should, they should be looking at it from like a dollar invested standpoint and you know, what's our, 
what's our yield rate based on how much we're investing and and you know are we getting the proper bang for our buck from x y and z strategies but i don't i don't know that anyone's looking at it that analytically um yeah. like a like a college acceptance department or like a college admissions department or any admissions department or really any business whatsoever i mean these are these are football coaches generally doing this they're <laughs> they're we just want to get him um and so they're you know and they they offered a bunch of guys and then who they actually end up focusing on is a much smaller list than the number of guys they've offered so it's just it's hard to assess real acceptance rates of those offers and all that kind of stuff um you know it's just i think the coaches would be able to do it if they were really analytical about it but i don't think they're interested no he goes on to say it seems like it would be like college uh, acceptance rates and alabama offer is more likely to be accepted so they offer fewer players but also seems like every school should have a number attached to an exception uh like we need to offer 150 guys to fill 25 slots we all saw what happened when chip kelly failed to do so the last cycle and I don't think that's necessarily the case, but if you get an offer from Alabama, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a committable offer. It's it's sort of like you're on Tinder and you're swipe whatever the swiping right or whatever the, the acceptance one is. Like, oh, you, you swiped right on this kid and he tries to swipe you, but you're like, yeah, no, we're not going on a date. Um, I just just put that in your memory bank. Like, hey, we offered you a scholarship, but uh, we're not going to take a commitment from you right now. We're going to wait and see. Um, so I, I still think I don't think Alabama just offers like fewer guys all the time. Uh, I don't know about that specifically, but a lot of those bigger programs will offer guys, but they're not committable offers. And you have to wait later on to you know, if you really wanted to commit there, then you could commit to it. Yep. Uh, discussion on the importance of camps would be appreciated. I think we did that. Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. I look forward to uh, washing dishes just so I can hear you two talk Pac-12 football. Card shop cook. Card sharp cook. Henderson, Nevada. Is this an aside? Is this an aside for us, or is this something to read? Oh, uh, the the PS. I don't know. Uh, I guess we could read it. I don't know. He wrote it. Um, okay, sure. I'm good friends with current. So this is another Jeopardy thing. Uh, current Jeopardy champ James uh, Holtzauger. Is that how you said? He's a great guy. Holtzauer. Holtzauer. No uh, he's a great guy, and I just love watching him make his bets. Root for him, please. And if you want to try to get him on the show, he might actually do it. No promises there. He's pretty selective on the interviews he takes, but a friendly college football program just uh, program might just get him in. Take my advice. Ask him about football and not betting on Jeopardy, and you'll get more interesting answers, uh, though the betting answers can be pretty cool. Uh, yeah, maybe when he's done. I mean, that could be an off-season sort of thing. Um, yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah, just, I, I mean, if he's big into football, I mean, just talking about Jeopardy, since neither of us really are watching that, it wouldn't make sense, but if... It's about football. You know, we do our our picks against the spread and um, helmet. Yeah, you know, that'd be fun. Yeah. All right, this is from Jake in Santa Monica. Clone game. Hey, Ryan and Dave. I'm excited for whatever the hell this one's going to be. Uh, if you were each cloned <laughs> 50 times and your clones played a football game against each other, which team would win? If you were each the coach of your respective team, what type of offense and defense would you run? Which team would win? Hmm. So is, I mean, the, the the obvious thing here is that Ryan's team would win. Why? You got height on me. Like you're what six two, six, six three? three? Yeah. I'm like five eleven, six foot. So you got the height. You'd have you a know, you'd have a better line than me, probably. I would have a better line. Um, lines are important. Lines are important. 
I don't think either what of speed? us are speedsters, though. Unless you are. No, I don't. I don't think either of us is necessarily the sprinting type. Um, how are your hands? So I have good, hand. good hands. Yeah, right? that's that would be like. I can catch. I can catch a little. Like I, I'm pretty good. Are you a good? Are you a good quarterback? Do I can. I can throw the ball. I mean, I used to play like third base and stuff, but you know, I don't know how accurate, but I can. I can throw it pretty good. Uh, but just, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think we're probably about even with that sort of crap. Um, what other skills do you need? Are we now? Are we like Boba Fett, and then we have a bunch of like clones, like that aren't that aren't quite us, or like how does that work? You know, like are they perfect clones, or are they going to be like slightly dumber versions, <laughs> slightly worse versions? I mean, obviously, I'd have the coaching advantage, um, <laughs> like the str- strategic acumen advantage. Oh, okay, um, you could be the coach on the field. Clearly a better motivator. Um, so, I mean, I think that has to play in, right? Yeah. Like, that has to play in. Um, that could be good. Well, so, well what kind of offense uh, and defense would you run? Whew. You know what? Given that we would, again, like, it's just it's just, like, 50 of us playing, I would probably go, like, triple option something that keeps the ball on the ground you don't make as many mistakes uh-huh. um and just like force you to do football things like force you to tackle me. okay because like if all i have to do is run with a ball or all a version of me has to do is run with a ball but you actually have to tackle me and like bring me down like that seems like it would be difficult okay um i think i would do some sort of like air raid, quick passing, simple offense where it's not like, you know, plays aren't 15 words long. It's just like, hey, just go run out there and and throw and catch. Um, Yeah, but you're not like tossing a laser out there. Like, you know, like you still have to throw the ball like a good number of yards. We're like talking a regulation football field. But yeah, I would be trying to like move the chains, picking up, you know, six yards. Yeah, but that ball's going to be looping like... Uh, my guys, my my stout defense is going to be jumping your passing list right. the entire game. Okay, that'd be interesting. Um, defensively, <laughs> I mean, I could I could jump pretty good. I could just throw it over the top and like JJ Arcega Whiteside it. Like you know, I don't think you can KJ Costello it all the way downfield. <laughs> um, defensive wise, for me, since I'm not the girthiest, and I and I just lost like 20 pounds, so I need to like. Uh, uh-huh. so that's, that could be an issue as far as like the line play goes. I think I'd have to do more of a, a three, four kind of thing. Like I don't want, I don't want four down linemen. I want to do as few down linemen as possible. So yeah, but the, if you've got fewer down linemen, you've got to be even girthier. I don't know, man. I just want people running to the ball. So I play like a lot of dime. I think that's, you know, I want to do that. Uh, with, okay. with I, I, I think that's where I would go. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. But let 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 the uh, let the listeners decide. What, yeah, which, let the listeners. Which decide. strategy would you guys use? Um, I think I could take them in a volleyball game. I think you could probably crush me in a volleyball game. <laughs> okay. I last played volleyball um, in high school. Oh, nice. So it's been a, that's uh, that's sixteen years yeah. ago. I last played yeah. this morning. Uh, okay, yeah. let's see. This is from uh, John and Brea. Dear Ryan and Dave, I'm checking off all the boxes I made for keeping track of topics I hoped you would cover this offseason. Dave's body odor. Check. Ryan's youth work history. Check. You guys are off to a great start. Question. 
Oregon, Washington are getting a lot of hype this year. The potential is there for sure, but I still haven't seen it on the field yet. Can you identify the biggest non-conference win for each of these teams under their current coach? Washington beat Southern Miss in the Cotton Bowl four years ago. Oregon beating Michigan State 7-6 last year. It seems uh, they both do a nice job of padding their win totals by playing weak non-conference schedules. What do you think of their schedules this year? If Oregon loses to Auburn and goes 10-2 or 9-3, or if Washington goes 11-1 and loses their bowl game again, they aren't, ele- they aren't elevating their conference. Do you think it's time for one of these programs to come up with a signature win? Um, I guess we can start. You want to just address that? I think that's legit. I mean, the the Michigan State win was good, even though they didn't be they weren't you know that great. Cristobal's Cristobal's only been there like a full season. yeah, so it's not like there's a lot there. But that that's been the biggest problem with the conference, though. You need to get those signature wins. Like if you avoid that signature win, but you win a bunch of other games, it's sort of like well, yeah, still, uh, but you need to get that big win. Um, and not a lot of Pac-12 teams have been doing that lately. I think that's a, a big problem. And that hurts the whole conference. You know, if if Oregon goes out, like you said, and loses to Auburn, it just, it's like it takes the whole conference down a notch. Yeah. And, I mean, it's a it's a tough thing with Peterson there because they also haven't really scheduled anybody. Like, there haven't been uh, super elite opponents. It was basically Auburn last year. But besides that, it's been kind of like a lot of, hardcore garbage um and that byu byu i guess was they were ranked at that time so i guess that counts um was peterson there yet in 2013 was that his first year that was his was it yeah i think it was his first year i think so they beat boise they beat boise state okay yeah is that was that his first year let's make yeah yeah so they beat boise state that year i don't think it was a great boise state team but whatever they lost their coach i heard yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. What did that Boise State team end up doing? They went, well, what the hell? They went eight and five. Uh, so, yeah, they weren't that great. Um, so, yeah, no real signature wins there. I think that's 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 a fair thing. But I also think they've, they've kind of scheduled poorly. I think they're doing a slightly better job of that going forward. But um, there were a lot of patsies on the uh, schedule from probably Sark. And, like, last year, that Aub- I mean, that Auburn team was just – pretty mediocre you know and washington won the pac-12 and they you know so the pac-12 champion lost to a middle of the road sec team like that's yeah i have a tough time with all that stuff because auburn at the beginning of the season probably different from auburn at the middle or end of the season i mean auburn like i test in that game auburn looked like a pretty damn good team um and i think probably Advanced stats are probably going to show that they were like decent enough last year. Let me look, but like I'd I'd have a tough time with that. Like I, I think single single game data points are always tough to judge a whole lot from. Yeah, Auburn went eight and five last year, but according to uh, Bill Connolly's S and P Plus, they were the seventh best team in the country. Oh wow! Yeah, so that that's the SEC effect right there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think Washington. Um, They've been very good. I, I I don't think anyone would knock that, but I think from like the resume points standpoint, where everyone, you know, likes to talk about the big wins and all that kind of stuff, they just haven't had those. Yeah. Uh, okay. He said, with Champagne Larry at the helm, the conference is headed for ruin, and we are all stuck in purgatory. But your podcast, along with John Wilner and John Canzano, 
are the only ones who can save us. I've come to realize that if we view college sports as entertainment, there is no conference more entertaining than the Pac-12. Thanks for all you do, John and Brea. That's very nice, John. Cool. Thanks. Thank you, John. All right, last one. This is from CJ. Um, I just started listening. To, okay, so this is O Miles Jack, not Gaskin. <laughs> I just started listening to your podcast last season. Every time I heard the intro, I thought the sound had a weird spot or the announcer had something stuck in their throat, which prevented them from adequately completing the second syllable of Gaskin. Now I realize it is a historical recording snatched from ancient history referring to the also amazing Jack. My question is, how long do you think it will be before there is a UCLA highlight sound drop of suitable excitement to replace the one you have? Thanks for the show. CJ. Um, mm. It's a two-pronged problem, I would say. One, yes, you have, to, <laughs> you, have to, you have to get that highlight, which, you know, that might be tough, as CJ alluded to. But two, even if we had the highlight, we would have to change something, which that's probably not going to happen. That's so never going to happen. And <laughs> CJ, CJ, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I don't think I've ever listened to the intro music. You, you've never listened to the show, like. I don't think I've ever listened to the intro music. You okay? Like never? Like it's our show. I'm not sure that I've ever listened to the intro music. <laughs> it's like it's the it's the, the radio called Miles Jack. Uh, so I think for USC they do like the. Uh, I think it's like the the bush push or something like that. I don't I, have, I don't listen to it all the time either. I just edit it and I put it up. But I've listened <laughs> to it. You know, I've had to. Um, right. And it's it's USC and UCLA because that's the teams that we cover. Uh, but we could theoretically, you know, like if Washington wins a national championship, like we should include that like in the the intro at some point. You know, do something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably, probably, probably good. It's probably a little USC and UCLA centric because back when we were starting this show, I think we had like, I don't know, maybe different idea about what it would be. I, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, we could probably get a little bit more. I, again, I don't even know what the thing sounds like, so I can't even talk, I can't even talk educatedly about it. Uh, it's on the to do list is like, and, OK, so we'll make a deal. A lot of people requested us change the Washington state like because um, right now. Let me pull it up. We got the uh, Washington State Cougars. So it's like a, a meow for the Cougars. So people are like, hey, that's not cool. So let's tell you what. If if Washington State turns things around and they actually say they win 11 games, then we'll we'll do it. So if they, they have a great season, they win 11 games, we'll change that. Turn things around. Didn't they just go 10 and 2? No, I think they won 11. <laughs> that was the joke. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Did they win eleven games? I'm 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 really picking up on things here at the uh, one hour and forty one minute mark. Uh, Washington State uh, went eleven and two. Yes, so um, we. So yeah, I really I really uh, I really sold your joke well. I think <laughs> we have to go back, and I forget was it Scott? I forget who did all of the. Um, so one of our listeners, if you don't know the story, one of our listeners went through and did all of those drops for us, like very early on in the podcast. And we started using them all. But like it would take an act of God for one of those to change. Or he could send us like another one. And I would, you know, I could theoretically just change it out. But like for us to try to record one or do something like that just is not that's not going to happen. No, no. Um, but we would like I would be down for doing that. I feel I don't want the Washington State fans to feel bad that the, it's the meow. Um 
but it's uh you know it's just kind of our our thing yeah absolutely nice. um all right well good show yeah we went hour and 40 something minutes that's long for for, for nothing going on that's pretty long. <laughs> absolutely nothing but people brought it with the questions today they brought there was it a lot of good questions and we you know we had some uh you know thanks micah for the notes and we you know we came up with some other notes along the way uh yeah we'll try to keep you up to date what's going on with pac-12 football and uh yeah as john said we, we're trying to be we're trying to help we're trying to help the conference and there wasn't anything like this for the conference there wasn't any you know there's no paul feinbaum show on the pac-12 network there's nothing like that not that we're the Paul Feinbaum show, but you know, we're trying to be something that talks about the conference uh, on a regular basis. So that's kind of what we're doing. It is what we're doing. Yeah, uh, not that we're doing good, but we're doing it. We we're doing. We it. show up. We we come to work. <laughs> this thing happens every participation week. trophy is like that's what the millennials do, right? Like they want those. So that, that's what we're getting. Mm-hmm. That's what we like. Nice. We like to participate. Well, that is David Woods, uh, my very smart partner, who's uh, knows everything about what's going on here in the Pac-12, <laughs> and me, the guy you want to be, but you're really Dave or whatever it is. That was a really funny uh, email. Uh, thanks, all of you guys, for listening to the uh, podcast of Champions. Hope you enjoyed it. Keep sending in those questions. Remember, leave us a nice review, uh, some kind of review on iTunes. Uh, five star ratings are always appreciated, but you know, put something funny in there, like your emails. We appreciate all that. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next time.